Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where executives and entrepreneurs access insights into the future of business and work. Candid interviews with the world's most innovative and disruptive CEOs slash game changers focus on the impact of technology and workplace culture to an organization's readiness for the future. Your host, Allison K. Summers, is the author of Connect to Influence and has coached, mentored, and worked with CEOs, presidents, and senior leaders from over 90 countries in her 25-year career as a global leadership architect. Allison is on a mission to search the globe to bring you accomplished, cutting-edge thinkers in the world of business to learn from. Now, here is your host, Allison K. Summers. Welcome, everyone, to Disruptive CEO Nation, and it is absolutely my pleasure today to be speaking with Kurt Euler. He has generated over $1 billion in value for investors and clients as a serial entrepreneur, product visionary, and angel investor. But what we want to talk about with Kurt is about disruption and what the heck we need to know to scale up for success in the future. So, Kurt, welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, now, I can't even begin to talk about all the things that, that all the projects and all the companies and, and everything you've touched, but just could you give everybody that three minute, you know, wow, <laughs> what we should know about Kurt? Yeah, no, happy to. Um, I mean, I, I'm not even sure I can talk about all of it. I, I had to write it out for my website and uh, it was a little too long for me to even want to read through. Um, but uh, I know I started my kind of entrepreneurial career as the typical almost West Coast, but I was based in Chicago. Um, I was 22 hours away from graduating at Vanderbilt, dropped out to uh, um, start it or actually rebuild a company that I had uh, started when I was 14. Uh, I turned into a big e-commerce company, finished a master's a few years later, and uh, a retained search firm actually in Chicago reached out to me to come to a, join a um, R&D house of Philips Electronics um, that had just brought in a new disruptive CEO. That single phone call changed my entire career path. Um, this company called Navtech that was spatial data and everything real-time information about our world. So I was firsthand was able to see the adoption of mobile devices, um, automobile ecosystem, expansion logistics, disruption in 10 other industries that uses spatial data. So that was a ton of fun for me. Um, and let me work literally around the world. By the time I left, um, I was high up in the company, had teams on six continents. And um, thanks to a handwritten clause from our CEO and my contract, I've been able to uh, continue working with my holding company during that whole time. So I left there as an accredited investor um, and I actually started a couple of what was side hustles that uh, one of which was bought by AOL at the time. So joined Atlanta, came down to Atlanta, joined a guy here with um, a company called Vitru. Uh, 16 months later, it was uh, bought by Oracle for $300 million dollars. Left there, started another company, an influencer marketing platform. Um, left there and took 18 months off and sabbatical. Um, came out and uh, enjoyed the time with my wife, but kind of stepped into a venture partner role with my holding company. And now do things like sit on as the chairman for the Made in America movement and um, help other companies kind of deal with disruption right now. And I want to come back to the Made in America movement, but I want to go through a couple other things first because I'm I'm fascinated with all of those new pieces and your perspective on that on that movement. So I just I have to ask this: with all the companies that you've been able to put your fingers into, more or less, do you have a favorite company that you worked with or that you launched? Just like a favorite child? Yeah, not not necessarily a favorite that I've launched, but the favorite that I worked with was definitely Navtech, just because we touched so many industries. 
Um, to some degree, we, you know, we, we were able to succeed despite a lot of kind of issues internal because we were at the crux of spatial data and mobile technology being adopted globally. So no matter what we had kind of could have done better on, uh, we went from an industry that was worth tens of millions of dollars to billions of dollars in just a couple of years. Um, and that was really cool to walk out of a meetings with UPS Logistics into the people making uh, navigation systems for Lexus and then straight out into a meeting with um, Microsoft video games. Completely different and I've never had anything like that kind of in my career since then. Well, and, and so that leads to a, a question that I have because one of the challenges when we talk to disruptive CEOs, right, is you start off with this vision and you want to be innovative and you want to build and then all of a sudden when that rapid growth hits, right, are you ready? You know, what what would you, what kind of advice can you give to somebody who has that kind of ride? I mean, I, I know once in my career, I had a scale from like a staff of six to 80 in nine months and it was tough. I mean, you talk about tough and then the battle scars afterwards when you're done. Um, you know, what kind of insight do you have for somebody going through that? Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it's a, it's a very different skill set from coming up with something that's truly disruptive and finding that product market fit, very different than scaling. I've been lucky to kind of be on both sides of it. Um, and I take a time to kind of focus on that disruption. But I mean, I, I'm somebody who scales. Um, I love that the kind of rapid growth. Um, for When somebody has found that, I think that the best advice that I've been able to give is when you know that you found it, you need to hire somebody that has experience multiple times scaling large organizations. Yeah. To a large degree then as the leader, my role is, ends up being the person who, my job is to repeat myself and the mission. So many times I'm almost annoyed with it. Um, and so it's like when, when we've been scaling companies and I have been on the disruption side, um, if I'm that kind of culture warrior, my job is to interview for culture. I'll hire other people. They can go test for, for, for knowledge sets. And my job is to make sure that the people believe the mission and on board for it and just repeat it day in and day out to the point that the faster we're growing, I mean, I've been, I've been in companies and growth places where I don't care whether it's a 30 minute meeting or a two hour meeting, we'll take the first 10 minutes and reiterate what, what is our mission and what is our goal this year and this 10 year period at the beginning of every single meeting, even if it's the same people that just came out of a different meeting and we're not shifting topics because we have to stay so focused on that because the problem is, when you're growing, it's so easy to get distracted by what's shiny versus what's important. No, really good advice. I, I think that's super good advice. So, so you do it over and over again, even if it sounds a little redundant. It should sound very redundant, I think, to you as the leader. Um, I mean, or to the spouse of the leader. My <laughs> wife, I can't tell you how many times, like, I, I told her when we got married, I'm like, you're going to be really annoyed at hearing certain things from me from calls and speaker phones, but I have to continue repeating myself. In some cases, it's for the team. In some cases, it's for me because I like disruption. I like something that's new. I'm always reading white papers and cool things. And I have to remind myself, what, what do we need to accomplish today? Good, good, good insight. Do you find um, with all the diverse teams that you're working with, um, that you have or find much difference in the generations um, in, in the way that you pull your teams together? Um, do you look specifically for diversity when you add new people to the team or it's, it's like, I don't care, they got the mission, they got the skills, we're going to run? Yeah, no, I, diversity is very important to me, but, but, not any, and, but it's not something that for me that crosses any generational lines. My, diversity for me is diversity in opinions, backgrounds, skill sets, 
and many times worldviews. There, there is kind of generalities, I think, between the generations. I mean, we hear a lot of, you know, complaints and sometimes praise about working with millennials. But I, I have the same things that I love and I hate about millennials as I do with, you know, people that are in their 60s. It's just, you know, every person's unique. Um, and to some degree, we all come with our own baggage. And it's my job as the leader to identify a little bit of where you're at. And, um, you know, and, and to some degree, a, a lot of our, the, like failings of how we've been brought up either by teachers or parents um, can be taken care of by setting people on a mission as long as people have the heart to grow. Yeah. And you know what, Kurt, I really liked what you said about um, you threw the word global in there. And I've had a period in my career where, um, and I still do because of the type of environment I work in, where I tell the human resource uh, team that I don't even want to interview somebody if they haven't left the country. And when I've worked with new HR people, they, they're like, what? Now, I've worked in an international environment, um, but I, I think in the rapid changing world that we're in, people who have that wide viewpoint are going to accelerate your company. Um, so I, I found that interesting. Yeah, very much. I mean, the, the, I, mean I, can, I feel like I can teach almost anybody's skills. There are certain things you look for in background, um, but I mean, the... the I, like I'm looking for a cultural fit and a character fit. Um, it, I can teach skills in the short term. I, it, I cannot really, I can model character, but I can't teach character in the short term. So somebody who's looking at things frequently different than me is going to make the team better. Um, and somebody that has a background in one in character and to some degree an addiction in some activity or hobby or something in their life, whether it's playing the violin or running 100 miles a week, um, something that takes, you know, a highly addictive nature over time and character. Like those are the people that I hire for time and time out. That's an interesting view. I, you know, one of the things, if you, if we follow you as if we watch your blogs or we, we watch anything where you speak, you will hear that you use this word tsunami, tsunami of, go ahead. What do you, how do you say it? No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm actually kind of working on a, on a book right now, but out of some uh, research we've done with Georgia Tech called Tsunami Innovation um, mm-hmm. and changing like the same bell curve we've seen over times uh, for technology being adopted. It just happens much higher, much faster today for a variety of reasons. I, so I've got two questions that I want to ask you in that. One, I often worry, is our, the, te- the, the rapid rate of technology is it going to be difficult to get general staff? And I'm not talking about your, your, your brilliant coders or, or tech people or inventors, but your general staff in your office to be able to comprehend and keep up with the technology that they need to for the future. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I think it depends on, on who you're hiring and, and, and the mentality. Um, I mean, it hasn't been an issue for me, at least in the last five years, and even the last 10 years. Um, cause we're hiring people that are thriving to learn. Like I, I consider myself, what, what I'm good at more than anything is I love learning new things. And so, um, I'm sharing with people, Hey, these are the tools that I'm trying today. Here's the skills I'm trying today. Um, but I mean, to a large degree, it's like, it, it is really hard though, to get me to move off of technology and something that I know is going to work. I'll try things, but I have systems that work and, um, but I'm also very authentic as well. So I, I, I share with friends, both other CEOs and people that I'm the two literally office managers that will open up and, and share like, this is the back end of all the ugly junk of how they manage. <laughs> and, and that type of openness 
really lets you kind of decide easily and versus just a landing page from a website. Like, could this be something that's usable to me or not? So let's go back to tsunami of innovation. So tell us a little bit more about what, what that means to us. Yeah, um, to a large degree, I mean, if you look at something like Uber or even if we look at some of the um, trading mechanisms like NASDAQ, which is actually owned by a company called ICE here in Atlanta, the same, when, when technologies like that come into play, we still have the same general, let's say, volume of change to our economy. It's just what used to take place over 20 years before we started falling off of a peak, we may get to that peak in six months to three years because um, it's happening that much faster. It's, it's a lot easier, I think, to find authentic demand today. And then um, there's those of us that have the skills to scale companies where it's going to change a lot faster. Um, and so to some degree, it's like the tsunami of innovation is just, hey, we're all used to being at the beach and you have that rolling wave that keeps coming, mm -hmm. as opposed to the tsunami comes through and wipes out everything for 30 miles into the city. And city. Well, the city looks beautiful 10 years later. It just completely changed the landscape, both to the detriment of a lot of businesses and unfortunately people. In that case, the same thing's happening with technology today. It's just people aren't, are frequently not prepared for it. Uh, industries aren't prepared for it. And so I've done research to kind of help companies get ready for how to, to disrupt other industries, but also be prepared for when it happens, how to change faster. So we like to talk to both entrepreneurs um, on this podcast, as well as executive and senior business leaders. And, and so in light of what you just said, what advice would you give to somebody that is involved in a more traditional business? I mean, are there, are there people they should be following, futurists they should be watching? I mean, what can they do to, to better prepare themselves in their workplace to be sustainable and relevant in the future? Yeah, um, great question. I, I, a few things. I think to some degree, for, for a lot of the industries, I, I think actually they shouldn't pay too much attention to some of the futurists. <laughs> um, I mean, while there are things I love about Elon Musk, um, you know, and he's, he, he talks about a lot of somewhat seemingly crazy things, most of us aren't going to be able to grow a company that's been backed by $5 billion of government, <laughs> uh, you know, free money, which basically he, he has. Um, but I mean, but with that said, I mean, there's also things where listening to some things like what he says or even old, even old Steve Jobs stuff where Steve Jobs said, hey, the customer often doesn't know what they want. You have to know it. That's actually much more of where we've kind of learned with some of the research at Georgia Tech with companies of every leader, I think, and especially the older in the industry, the more needs to siphon off part of their time. They have to carve it out. It's an investment in the future to look for authentic demand. That's not getting in front of your customers, potential customers, and asking how do you can make something better? It's literally getting in there and almost stalking them and, and finding out like who they have to be at their core. Um, and then finding that little piece of your business that lets that recruiter or whoever the person is or office manager be more of who they are. That's really hard work to do when most of us are too focused on trying to get our business to run smoother and, and better. So it's like when you can carve that out, I, I find that to be a lot more beneficial than listening to too many futurists is getting in and trying to identify what's reality with a lot of our customers. Yeah. Well, and I, I think most, um, which I'm, I know you had said it yourself, um, you know, learnability, no matter what level you're at in the organization, right. Is um, sometimes my, my employees and my family make fun of me because I take vacation and go to business conferences. Right. Mm -hmm. But 
it, that's where it's happening. I, I think that's where you're going to learn it is you have to get out and just talk to other, other people who are also interested in staying on the leading edge. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, um, I mean, to some degree, it's like I do, you look for my new things when I'm interviewing as well. I mean, uh, myself, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of uh, uh, David Allen's Getting Things Done and this concept of deep work by Cal Newport. Mm -hmm. um, it's like be, be partially because I, I'm, I'm looking for personally, but I also, I'm around people and asking questions that for other people that are looking for repeatable processes that they can automate or how do you carve out that, that focus time for deep work? It's um, because I'm around a lot of people like that and I choose to be, um, I learn so much more back from other people and I get introduced to people as well that are very similar. Actually, today I had a, a, a venture capitalist come up from Tampa that happens to be in town. His son goes to, uh, goes to Georgia Tech and we had communicated early last year and he happened to be in town. We had no agenda. I'm not looking for a job. He's not looking to fund anything of mine. But just we, we connected enough to know that we're very similar. And we got together just to share a little bit of kind of what we're each seeing. Um, and that type of serendipity is very valuable, I think, for people. I, I agree. So we have a few more minutes left. And I really would love for you to share with the listeners, what is it that you're most excited about today that you're working on? Um, yeah, uh, great question. Again, my um, kind of my real passion right now, if anything, is actually helping around a uh, nonprofit called the Made in America Movement. So I spent so much time kind of working with that because Made in the USA used to be this concept of manufacturing. And there are 20,000 members that this, uh, this organization represents, but, um, and which is great. I love that part of the economy. It lets me go to the White House and do some fun things like that. <laughs> but, um, but, but for me, I'm a, I'm a technology guy. So uh, the, 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 the woman that's building a new SaaS company that's choosing for her call center to be in Fargo and coding out of Chicago, that she's, she's as much of the modern manufacturer today um, and with that American dream than what we had before. And so there's a few of us that are kind of pushing that concept on the blue collar side. We see Mike Rowe pushing the same kind of concept as well about um, just encouraging that, that you know, more modern entrepreneurism and really from a passion of stewardship. So it's like more than anywhere in the world, I see a lot of the people that we've helped kind of cultivate believe that they're working because they're called to be stewards of what they've been given. And I can give more personally when I'm building more companies and I can train better. I can when somebody I'm apprenticing somebody or they're apprenticing me than if I'm just meeting with somebody for a coffee every once in a while or writing a book, which is great. I'm doing that, but it's not quite the same thing as building companies together. I, I, absolutely. The economy is still driven by business and by jobs and um, by all of those great things. So Kurt, if our listeners want to find out more about you or about your companies, um, where can they go? What should, what do you recommend they, they look at? Uh, I'd take them to my website. Um, not selling books or courses or anything. It's literally K-U-R-T-U-H-L-I-R.com. <laughs> uh, it's, it's literally just the hub for, uh, all the businesses and things that I'm working on. I may put out an article every once in a while or kind of post somewhere. If there's an, uh, there's an interview with me, I'll, I'll put this up there when it comes out. Um, but that's kind of the hub to where not only do I highlight what I'm doing, but also some of the people that I'm following and I just love what they're doing. 
Well, fantastic. We are going to put more information in the comments. And if you're listening to this podcast and you like it, please share it. Tell other people, leave a comment. Um, we'd love to hear from you. If you know of a great, innovative, disruptive CEO that you think we should speak to, go ahead and email me at connect at allisonksummers.com. And thank you so much for joining us. And Kurt, we thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>